Hi, I'm James Atkinson, and welcome to the conversation we recorded with Matt King and Glenn Wignall of Sydney's The Grifter Brewing Company. Starting out in 2012 as a gypsy brewer, The Grifter has since opened its own brewery and tap room in Enmore, where the guys are turning out some great beers in what is undoubtedly one of the country's most visually appealing venues. Matt Kirkegaard, Pete Mitchum and I visited just before Christmas to find out a bit more about The Grifter's journey to date, their upcoming plans, and of course their views on recent industry developments. I hope you enjoy the chat. So Matt King and Glenn Wignall from Grifter Brewing Company, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming down. Yeah. Cheers. Guys, for people who don't know the Grifter story, not everyone's from Sydney. Um, you know, when did you guys start up and, and what's, you know, the story behind the Grifter? Yeah, so started, um, well, it's probably pushing six years ago now. Um, uh, Glenn and I were both home brewers and sort of just flowed from that. Um, there wasn't really much talk of doing it commercially, but we've, we got a few opportunities um, starting out at Young Henry's in Newtown. Um, and we did some contract brewing there for a while, uh, while hold, whilst holding down full-time jobs and stuff like that. We got lucky, I guess, got an opportunity to put down a batch of beer, uh, thanks to Richard Adamson. And um, that was kind of before we even had a brand or a name or anything, so we were like, shit, we better sort that out pretty quick. Um, did that and then um, they got busy obviously and then they let us install uh, a fermenter of our own in their brewery and it just kind of went from there. And so how long have you had the uh, tap room that we're sitting in now? It's about two years right? Two years old last week so that's when we opened it to the public. We moved in a bit earlier than that and got brewing before we opened the, the brewery bar but um, yeah two years has been going for now. And you've had your battles with council, I believe, in that two years. Yeah, everyone does, I guess. It's just part and parcel of having a brewery or having anything to do with liquor. So, in a way, like, it was probably warranted. Like, there was some grey areas on both sides. Um, But I guess if you prove to them that, um, I don't know, you're here for the long haul and you're a legitimate sort of business, then they, they sort of comply with what you want. And, yeah, it worked out for us in the end, so we're all good now. And I was interested to learn, Matt, that you spent a bit of time up at Stone and Wood. Um, was that before you actually started the Grifter? Yeah, briefly, I was. I was. I did a bit of work experience up there. So, when we started Grifter, I was 25, 24, 25, and I was a bit sort of worried about not figuring out what I wanted to do. And I used to go around to Glenn's house every second week and brew beer with him, and sort of that's how I learnt a bit about homebrewing and stuff because Glenn had been doing it for, for a while before I, I had and then um, got an opportunity to go up through Brad Rogers to go up and do some work experience and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into to begin with but um, was just excited to get that opportunity because at that point in time it was really hard to get your foot in the door and kind of still is with brewing but um, yeah I was lucky enough to get that experience I think I was up there for about five weeks or so um, and then yeah, wasn't quite ready to make the move to Byron and um, came back to Sydney still not knowing what really what to do but Glenn got an opportunity to meet Richard and then that's kind of where it grew from so um, learn a lot in that short period of time and um, can't speak highly enough of that company all those guys the I guess the stalwarts of the industry and s- someone that I kind of really look up to I remember <clears throat> right at the start 
um, I'd call Matt every like second day when he was working there, and I was like, "What'd you get up to today?" And he's like, "Oh, kegging Pacific Hill, man." I'm just like, "Fuck, that's amazing. How many did you do?" And um, and then I, th- I remember like it sounded like they might have offered him a job or something. So there was there was a minute there where I was just like, "Oh, do what you got to do, man." We had some ideas to do our own thing. Um, I'm just glad he chose to to stick around Sydney. Stone Wood would have been a pretty small operation then as well. Yeah, it was in it was in the Baronia, um, then that's where they were doing everything. So it's pretty phenomenal from there to now where they're at. But um, oh, when I was there, I thought it was huge. Couldn't believe how big the tanks were and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I guess that shows how starry-eyed I kind of was. Hey guys, I have to ask because I remember when I first uh, heard of the Grifter and it, it popped up on my on my radar. And it was—it reminded me of one of my all-time favourite movies, *The Sting*, yep. which came out in 1973. Yep. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, and that's where I first learned about grifters. Is that where the grifter came from? Um, uh, not not so much the, the film, but um, it was it was an idea of a, a friend of mine. We we're throwing some other names around, and this, this guy, my mate Dan, came up with this name, and uh, we felt that it kind of fit. It's like a slightly dodgy character and I guess being just ghetto homebrewers at the time we thought that we could sort of play with it and get our foot in the door hopefully that way um, yeah and now it's just kind of stuck with us and Glenn that doesn't sound like a Marrickville accent um, how long have you been in Sydney for uh, about 11 years I'm from Wellington New Zealand represent <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I kind of just moved over here Oh, I actually didn't really move over here. I just came to, to skateboard for a little while. I'm into skateboarding, and um, that's how I met Trent, our other business partner, because he has a skateboard company. And, um, yeah, I was just going to do that for a few months, and then that turned into a year, and then I went away for about five months and then came back, been here ever since. One of the things that I always am struck by when I come here is just the quality of the fit-out and the decorations and the lighting and all that kind of stuff. You know, how, how did you guys together such a great looking tap room yeah oh thanks for noticing that for starters um it's something that we really put time into when we were opening the bar at the time we got the place that the brewery tasting bar was always just a bit of an add-on and um yeah i guess we just put a little bit more time we've always kind of done things in a certain vein where it's aesthetic or design stuff so it's just something um that we put a bit of time into and yeah we did most i mean most of the design stuff and as much building stuff we could do, we did ourselves. But um, yeah, it took it took a little bit longer, which was frustrating. But we're really happy with the end result. We've got some friends, I believe, that are in the lighting world as well, which has been uh, that's part of the whole Kiwi connection, I believe. Yeah, there's a few Kiwis over here, so it's like mafia. We always someone knows someone who can do something. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Thanks, Tara. <laughs> Guys, you started as home brewers, um, and whilst you've acknowledge you've had a few lucky breaks working for other breweries i mean this is a very grown-up sort of enterprise to take uh, a lease there's a lot of stainless steel here a lot of kegs you've got employees you're backing yourselves and your skill but you're also backing the future of craft beer in, in in making a big leap from something you could have just kept doing in your garage for your own pleasure and your friend's pleasure to something that is a you know a very serious operation yeah i mean I guess I kind of look back and I guess we're probably pretty modest guys. Like we, we say we caught lucky, but we also worked very hard to get here. So um, 
having jobs full time and I guess the difference at that point it's probably not so different now is contract brewing it used to just be hand over recipe but we were pretty firm on doing everything ourselves and kind of taught us along the way how we like to work and certain procedures we like to do but um, we sacrificed a lot I guess to get to where we are. I suppose our sort of rise if you want to call it that kind of came it was, a, it was a long drawn out sort of staggered process whereas <clears throat> I know it seems like these days people open up overnight almost and they're selling X amount of beer in three months time um, yeah definitely wasn't like that for us we contract brewed for quite a long time and we we bought like you know a shell of a brewery and had it in storage for a year and put it in here and there was basically nothing else in here and um, we just sort of worked it up from there really did the bar later um, spent many weekends in here painting stuff and bashing shit out and yeah that's how it went <laughs> guys one of the i guess the um the big bonuses that a lot of places that have a whether it's a brew pub or a tap room but anyone that has the the public able to come and drink from the source basically um one of the biggest advantages is that you've got that immediate feedback and all that sort of thing and, and you can engage with your customers and perhaps explain a bit about the beers and that sort of thing where do your punters come from are they locals are they coming here because there are now a handful of beers in Marrick? there's the Marrickville mile and you know people can go from one to the other or like where do they come from I've definitely noticed a change in the last year in terms of who's coming here. So originally it was just locals and people in the immediate area, but yeah, people are traveling from all over to come to all the different breweries. Um, and it's been really noticeable in the last sort of six to 12 months. I mean, we've kind of been here for years now in the area for years. So we've known that this has kind of been bubbling under the surface, so to speak. But now it's kind of, I mean, you guys are down here talking to us as people that are interested in hearing about the breweries in this area. So more and more it's, I mean, it's, I, I live like 150 metres away and if you walk around on a Saturday Arvo, you can bet that most people you see are going in between the, all the different breweries and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's kind of becoming a known thing that people will travel to to come to these breweries, yeah. You guys have, you, you said modest, but you, you certainly have been very quiet is how I would describe it, you know, being editor of a beer publication you know, the, I don't think I've ever received a grift of press release. Yeah. I, I just think you guys have really kept focused on yourselves. Has that been a conscious decision or is that no. just, just to your personalities? Yeah, probably a bit of personality in that, um, being pretty busy as well. So, um, yeah, like we don't specifically have a sales rep or, or a marketing person or anything. It's kind of just all handled by us. Um, so there's that element but we've always just kind of put our head down and just kind of worked hard and I feel like people are recognising that our beers are popping up a bit more now um, but yeah it's just kind of been our way for a while. And what about like from a beer quality perspective how has it been for you guys taking the step from being you know um, home brewers to moving to you know a, a big production or bigger production brewery like this like what, what have you done to be able to um, you know keep improving the quality of the beers that you're putting out I guess it's been it's been a journey for sure like the, if I think back to the first beers that we we're putting out you know I'll probably be pretty horrified if I had one today so it's been a lot of learning on the way but um, I guess we were lucky enough when we did make that transition for you know from 20 litres to 1,200 we had you know a couple of guys around us that could steer us in the right direction yeah and then I guess now we're pretty conscious of um beer quality and you know the guys that i choose to work down here i want them to put as much 
effort into keeping it that way. So, yeah. And the, the pale ale that we're drinking now, um, that's the flagship for the Grifter? Yes, it is. That's It is, but it isn't the first beer we, we brewed. So the, it was the first beer we put into the tank back in Young Henry's, but it's way different these days. Yeah, it's a very sort of more stripped back, lean, hoppy version. Yeah. But I mean, it's been like that for a couple of years now, so it's not like people were been noticing recently. And congratulations on the, the, the pale ale. It's a really nice beer to sit while we, uh, while we have a chat. One of the things that fascinates me at the moment is we've seen a number of breweries that have been taken over and uh, there's been no surprise which breweries have been taken over. Um, they either have been around for a while or they look like they've set up to be taken over. You guys look like you're here to do something that you love. But your young fellas, you have a big commitment in here. Do you think 5, 10, 15 years down the track, you know, when you've been around the block a few times, the, the passion's faded, you know, do you still want to be brewing uh, in your late 40s, early 50s, or do you have an exit strategy? You know, are you even thinking that far ahead, or are you just enjoying what you're doing now? Yeah, we talked about all this quite recently. Obviously, it's pretty topical. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, we... There's no exit strategy or plan for us. I mean, sometimes I still kind of pinch myself to say, like, this is my job and this is now my life and hopefully it can be my career, you know? So I think as what we were discussing before with sort of trusting the longevity of the industry and stuff like that and having the brewery tap bar, having that face-to-face interaction is really important for us and without it, I don't reckon we would have survived. So, um, yeah, we're, we're just kind of in it for the long haul and just... Yeah, happy to be making beers for a living. But when you approach it, you know, you've got a big investment, you've got uh, employees and and those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, you can, some people use the term buying yourself a job. So you've created something that you love doing. But, you know, once you get a bit older, do you you hopefully one day have kids that will take over the business? You know, are you looking for the Cooper's model or are you looking to just have have a job and then one day you can sort of say, well, that was a great career, we've got a bit of money saved. I'll close it down, or do it. Do I sell it? What you know? What, what's the ultimate aim for Grifter? Yeah, I mean, it's a really hard question to answer. Like, we're just sort of taking this thing to where it goes. So, yeah, I, I don't have any children or anything like that. So that's not something I think about in terms of they'll take over the business one day. Um, but yeah, just I guess who knows where it, it's going to be a really interesting sort of next few years for the industry to see like how established it is and how much it sets. Glenn's got a family, so he can discuss that side. Um, well, I was just going to say that, you know, we've been around for close to six years and it feels like only just now we can s- sort of step away a little bit, which is really cool. I'm just kind of still getting used to that idea. Um, you know, I just set my alarm for 5.30 every morning for a long time there and now I just sort of get up whenever I want, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the moment. To set up the tap room um, and brewery, did you have to go outside to get, you know, capital to facilitate that, or was it all done, you know, with your own family um, funding? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah, we got some help from our family, but then, like I said, it was like a staggered uh, rise. So we were already around brewing beer for quite a lot well, for a few years there. So we had some put away, and we managed to scrape everything together. And then, yeah, when we got in here, we scraped more together and set this thing up as well. We had a lot of help from friends and you know around the area that were good with their hands and stuff, so we were pretty lucky. Um, we had a massive party to thank everyone when we got open as well, which was pretty cool. Everyone was pretty stoked. 
It was uh, a real sort of collaborative effort, I guess you could say. Guys, what are the biggest changes that you've seen in the six years that you've been opened? A, in terms of, I guess, um, you know, the way you look at the business, because as, as it grows, you've got, to, you've got to grow in your thinking with the business. But more importantly, I guess, when craft, if you like, first everyone wanted big hoppy beers and that was what set us apart. Do you find now that people are coming in and, and wanting something like a really nice, easy drinking pale ale, like what we're having at 25 past 11 in the morning, um, or, you know, a, a Pilsner or, a, you know, something a little bit more sessionable? How, how has it changed? Yeah, we were kind of probably swept up in that big hoppy sort of stuff at the beginning and that's the stuff we enjoyed and we still really enjoy it, but it definitely has changed. I mean, the pale trumps everything we make four times the amount sort of thing. I guess there's always new waves, so um, you got sort of fruit and sour wave happening now and that'll ride, that's probably here to stay, I, w- I would imagine. Um, but I guess the thing that's surprised me, it kind of took a lot longer than I thought it would, but... You can kind of walk into any corner pub around town now and they'll have a local beer on tap and that's taken a lot of work to get to that point but it sort of should be really common like especially with all these breweries in the area there's no reason why a pub no matter who they're owned by no matter who they're contracted to there's kind of always a way to get a local beer on so that's kind of something i think's pretty cool is that any sort of dingy or crap looking pub will have something good and local on and that's just kind of the way it is now and i'll only get better and you know more accessible does that mean that now that justin hems is moving in next door he's already committed to um the grifter tap yeah yeah we're, we're on tap in there so that that's that that was good i mean uh we had a really good relationship with the previous owners and the beer we sort of got the beer to be one of the top performing beers in that pub um which we were really proud of and then yeah um, Justin took the one next door and um, yeah we're on tap in there and another one up the road called the Queen Vic which is his so I guess making some inroads into something that's been pretty stitched up for a long time is pretty exciting yeah absolutely I mean there's only a handful of breweries you know in Sydney that, yeah. that have taps in Maryvale pubs so that's yeah. a big coup yeah definitely I mean it goes I mean they focus a lot on food and wine and stuff so the next step is local beer I mean literally made 50 meters away i always say it's the hardest delivery we do because i don't want to be seen driving it over there so i wheel it back and forth and (laughs) it takes like four times as long as any other delivery we do but yeah it's um it's good good for everyone and obviously good for us so yeah and what about um elsewhere in the range um you know we've talked about how the the pale ale is the powerhouse but um the watermelon pilsner seems to be um you know that's obviously a pretty unique sort of an offering it's a fruit beer that's not a not a sour by any by any stretch that's very popular as well isn't it yeah i mean the popularity of that i mean it's it's come from a one-off beer that we made with frankie's pizza probably three years ago um we were kind of spec to make a smashable lager and we kind of wanted to go against the grain a bit with all the other wacky beers that they would have on the menu for that night so we were just going to brew a straight up lager and then as the event got closer we kind of started to think how we could make it somewhat more interesting and then yeah Glenn and I just bounced some ideas around and got to Watermelon Pilsner and brewed it once really popular sort of kept going but it just kind of hit a point where people were coming in here to only drink that and if we didn't have it they'd they'd leave or they'd they'd, they'd call next time and say do you have it on tap yeah it'd be <laughs> like so it's um it's really surprised me with the popularity of that one I mean, Glenn, I don't do any of the brewing stuff anymore, but Glenn might have something to say about the watermelon side of things. Yeah, have you, have you found an efficient way to do it? Uh, you should, should call, um, there's a little brewery in Swan Valley that works with them a little bit too. Yeah, I should hit him up for some advice. Um, oh, yeah, I'll just add that it's 
I mean, sometimes when we make beers, we're not really thinking about the future of them. And, yeah, when they get popular, sometimes it's you're kicking yourself a little bit. You're like, shit, I've got to make, I've got to chop all these watermelons all the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is a pretty painstaking task. Um, but, yeah, at least i got another couple of guys to help me out these days. Not getting Matt's sister in here to help me. <laughs> Yeah, I had. I actually had a very important question. I was going to say, when's old mate finished uh, cleaning the the lines? Because I'm yeah. hanging out to try a serpent's kiss. Well, that's in cans as well, though, isn't it? Or has been? Yeah, it, it was in cans when we were testing out this whole labelling thing, and then we just decided to stick to putting out a sort of a flagship beer. Um, but yeah, we talked about doing it again in proper printed cans. So watch this space. And Glenn, are you? I guess um, utilising the the diversity and the range of um, providors and suppliers and that sort of thing that are in this area when it comes to um, whether it be coffee or watermelon or whatever it might be for your beers? Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, we just did a coffee beer uh, that came out on Friday with Coffee Alchemy. They're roasted just down the street. So, yeah, yeah, we've, we've done a few things like that um, with locals in the area. It's good. keeps it interesting and sort of creates a sense of community. Um, a lot of people that come in here to drink beer also go to coffee alchemy you know every day probably so yeah it's nice to include people in the neighborhood and there really seems to be that community sort of feel and it's almost like um you know you guys and some of the other um, brew pubs or you know tap rooms around marrickville are really embracing that kind of um or taking the role that the the local pub used to have as that sort of community hub and it would be you know so you'd be and there's the baker drinking with the coffee roaster drinking at the at the brewery yeah for sure it's pretty unique hey um well, i guess i don't get to leave sydney uh too often or i haven't in the last few years but um yeah i've never come across anything quite like it so yeah, it's pretty exciting it's a good place to be yeah i'm stoked and the cans that we've got in front of us now is that um mobile canning is that what's made that possible yeah um we've been using east coast scanning since we started doing the cans and um it's just been working for us so we get them in once a month and do that um we have quite a lean team in the brewery so yeah rather than you know biting off a bit more than we can chew at the moment with trying to commission a canning line and get into something that we don't have a whole lot of experience in we're just sort of happy to outsource it for the moment you know we've already talked about you know how many new breweries are opening around the place and all that sort of stuff um how have you guys found that's affected your wholesale business is it is it becoming even tougher to to find taps and um you know sell sell beer i mean it was different with us because we were always keg so if people wanted our beers they kind of had to put it on tap which is pretty rare like most people split it or i mean packs a really good way to move volume um but we really stuck at it with the kegs mainly because yeah we didn't have the resources to do the package option um so yeah it is really tough to get taps but i guess being six years in we kind of established the name and we've always been a pretty like 90 percent of what we do is tap even now so yeah it, it is difficult but i think having the name in the industry for quite a while has, has held us in good stead it's funny i was at a beer event the other day um with another newer brewery and um he sort of referred to us as being like a mature sort of older brewery which I thought was kind of funny because I, I still sort of feel like a 
a child in a brewing sense. So, yeah. You mentioned you're at a beer event. One of the things we've talked about on the podcast recently is beer events, and uh, we're seeing more and more uh, beer festivals popping up. Are, are they still an attraction for you guys? Uh, are they an attraction for you guys at all to go along? And what, what do you look for in a good beer festival for you guys to be involved in it? Not so much my area, it's probably more Matt's, but um, yeah, I know what you're saying. There's definitely more and more beer events these days and um yeah i don't know if that's necessarily a good thing i mean we try to do our best with our limited resources and team to try and get out and make an effort to get to all of them and stuff but sometimes it's just a bit of a headache and um you're sort of preaching to the converted already um and i mean part of like if, if it's in terms of inner sydney sort of event it's like partly why we have this tasting bar so that we're, we're here to this is our home. You can come down if you want to know about us, and you'll get the real deal right here, rather than an esky set up in a car park somewhere. But I mean, we just did one down the road, October West, yeah, and that was that was pretty cool. Like it felt like there was a a crowd that wasn't necessarily, um, you know, your typical beer enthusiast. So it was cool to see some new faces and things like that. And maybe we did reach a few people in that instance. So that was good. So who is the typical grifter drinker? Like, do you, you guys um, think that you're a brand that the beer geeks get particularly excited about or is it more just a locals, local thing? Or Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think we necessarily attract the, the sort of pointy beer geek sort of crowd. Um, I don't know if we're intentionally steered away from those sorts of people or those types of beers, but I don't know, just, just kind of into doing our thing which is a bit more sort of in the middle it's not we don't want to make bland beer or anything like that but um we're definitely not trying to blow people's faces off same time i think people just like a good a good quality beer and um something that they're sort of proud to be drinking i guess would sort of sum up our our target audience Guys, what's the what's the plan? What's uh, the next three years hold? Do you guys want to, I guess, just keep growing organically? Do you want? Would you love to see your beer going into Melbourne or going into Brisbane or going across to Perth, Adelaide? What's the plan? I mean, we do do a little bit interstate. It's sort of case by case at the moment. So, yeah, I handle that side of the business now. I guess I'm the point of contact for venues and um, yeah. So we will send stuff. I'm originally from Brisbane, so we've got some good relationships up there. We send stuff there every month, sort of just, I guess, pop up every now and then. Same with Adelaide and then starting to in Melbourne as well. So, I mean, I, I might be naive, but I don't really ever see us being like a full-on national sort of beer company that you see in most bottle shops and stuff like that. I'll happily be that, but, I mean, I don't really, I just don't see it, but maybe that's just, yeah, like I said, me being naive, but... Um, yeah, obviously we're growing pretty quickly. Like we've doubled in the last sort of six to eight months, which has been unexpected. But yeah, I mean, we're just going to, I think we've still got a way to go. Like we haven't really scratched the surface of what's happening at the moment. Like we spoke about before, we've always just kind of had our head down and, and worked hard. But I think we could probably take it a little bit further if we wanted to. And, and that's obviously employing some more people to give us a hand and stuff like that. So I think that's the general route is we'll just kind of keep plugging away and um glenn wants a new brew house so he can talk about that's probably next step for him (laughs) is it big enough yeah nah it's it's just big enough right now and um yeah i guess the phone keeps on ringing and and matt's sending more and more beer out so it's starting to stress me out already we only got a few we got extra tanks about a month or so ago so um 
yeah, there'll be some, a few changes around here in that regard. So I think we're going to double the size of the brew house, get some more tanks. Um, yeah, maybe a job on the line after that happens as well. Or a job up for grabs, sorry, not on the line. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. That's kind of just what I'm starting to think about probably when you guys leave. <laughs> Hopefully that's not a hand on our back showing us the door. Um, there was a fairly punchy article on Brews News last week that you might have seen uh, talking about selling out to the big guys isn't the only way to, to expand. You are buying new tanks or you're working on how to buy new tanks. Um, how are you going to finance uh, your, your expansion? Uh, good question. Um, we've, we've always managed to do it by ourselves, which has been great. I guess going direct to people in China who sell gear always helps. Unfortunately, it's not that great for people working in the industry in Australia. Um, sorry about that, guys. But um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that keeps the costs down, I guess. Yeah, we've just been kind of lucky, I guess. Like w- when, when things like that have been required, we've had, you know, breaks come about like the excise rebates and things like that so we've always managed to pull it together quite last minute which is good just be super skint in other areas for a minute so we can get our tanks in so we've always been able to do it had that, that they've never been like humongous upgrades you know where you walk into this place overnight and it's like a completely different brewer it's just oh there's another three tanks and a hot hot liquor tank and whatnot so yeah don't know about the next the next one but let's see but it is one of those things that, like, you guys started home brewing, um, where it becomes a hobby, and now you've got looking at how nice this space is. You've got a lease, you've got staff, you've got stainless. You need to expand. That must come, you know. Does there come a point when the passion for just making beer um, gives way to the stress of business, or you know, it, it, do you find yourself waking up at two or three o'clock in the morning? wondering about making that next uh, bank payment or wondering about how your next expansion is going to be funded? One thing I should have mentioned before as well is just um, what I would say is the importance of a tasting bar for us. Um, I guess we probably saw it when we were at Young Henry's, you know, people were in there drinking every weekend and stuff and they'd get quite a crowd and we sort of knew that was a good thing to do for obvious reasons cash flow you get paid straight away um and yeah i know other people have talked to me about setting breweries up and stuff and they have talked about not being so retail focused and i've sort of advised them that it's been pretty important for us to stay alive and be able to you know keep up with expansions and do the things we've done is having this place open and yeah it's been very good guys one of the biggest um i guess barriers to people doing that that i've heard um, anecdotally in the past is that look uh, I, I do brewing I, I love what I do but I'm not a hospitality person so that's totally out of my league I don't want to get into something that I you know it's just not my bag did you guys get someone in specifically or did you kind of have enough confidence to do it or did you learn it as you as you went Matt um, yeah we've never really been hospitality dudes I guess the beauty of a brewery tasting bar is you're just serving well we're just serving middies and ponies of beer so it's not I'm not shaking up cocktails or anything like that. Um, although the, the watermelon pills is a beer cocktail or something. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple service, you know what I mean? And um, I guess we've just spent our fair share of time in venues and stuff like that. So we kind of knew what we wanted. But yeah, as, as Glenn said and I was saying earlier, without the face-to-face interaction 
we wouldn't have survived. Yeah, and it's just important for people to step into this world for us as well as we've tried to create this brand and they can be in touch with it and understand a bit more what we're about, which helps you outside in your venues and stuff like that. Who laid out the bar? Um, and most importantly, who chose not to go with the white rectangular tiles that subway every tiles. other <laughs> that, no yeah, yeah but every other uh, tap room in the country I think has white rectangular um, tiles and you've gone black you've put them at an angle and you've actually got a board around whose idea was that and congratulations for doing something that's vaguely different yeah I guess um, oh, collectively we, we can all claim it but um, we kind of take a bit of inspiration from old decor of pubs and stuff like that so you see the mirror behind you um, even the old taps that we use it's kind of like a running theme for, for our brand and that's kind of just happened pretty naturally over time I suppose our MO is to look at what everyone else is doing and try to do something else, you know? Just not follow the trends, I guess. I blame Garage Project. I reckon they were the first ones to put subway tiles in their tap room, and then everyone said, me too. <laughs> Cafes are doing it as well. So every new cafe you go to has got the white tile. Like, yeah. It's anyway. so 2017. Well, guys, we've talked about one uh, new beer you've got coming up, which is the coffee beer collaboration with... Um, the Alchemist yep. is the Alchemist. No, sorry, no, that's Alchemy. the brewery. Uh, Coffee Alchemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else is on the cards for you guys? Um, and where can people find the beers? I mean, yeah. So we've we've got one tank in the brewery that we muck around with, and that's a twelve hundred liter tank um, that we brew something new into every every second or third week. Um, so the next one out of that's peach wheat, which we've done a little while ago, and that'll be on on nitro. So we've been mucking around a lot with nitro beers, and kind of believe that's sort of the next wave it kind of happened a little while ago in sydney with hand pumps um i think you're going to start to find a lot more pubs with nitro nitro beers on tap um so that's some that's that's the the next one we're mucking around with we're just doing the production schedule before over christmas because it's just going to be glenn here so um he's going to be brewing everything oh well it's all, all, all watermelon pilsner then yeah yeah uh, uh and, and don't forget pale need to keep up yeah new stuff i guess uh, we've been playing around with kettle sours a bit lately so we've sort of been refining one that we've done in the past and we're pretty happy with the last batch of that and um, we have plans to do another one but uh, I won't mention anything about it right now so keep it under wraps yeah one one thing we kind of refer to in the brewery well I do anyway is um, so we've got eight taps down here soon to be 12 so at any one time we can offer that mu- that many out there wholesale um, but it's becoming so selected, so it's only a few venues here and there. But um, we just kind of refer to them as good tank-filling beers. So a lot of the stuff that we've done, we've done before, and it's worked really well. It's pretty rare that we'll just do one beer and it'll never be brewed again. So we've kind of just got this pretty heavy rotation of different styles and stuff. So, I mean, our beer list since the new tanks went in has been pretty healthy for wholesale. I've kind of been offering about 10 different ones every week. So we kind of just wanted to build up that sort of walking into a pub what have you got from grifter this week not just being known for doing the pale or the watermelon pilsner it's um and we've got a really good relationship with the henson which is a pub just down the road and yeah they love just checking in with us every monday what do you got and they'll just change it every week and it's it's just getting to the point where it's more about um the different beers than just the one you know so it's kind of what we want to be known for We've spoken a bit about your future and the, the plans and looking forward and that sort of thing. We like to finish with Pacey's Poser, which is where I guess we take a bit of a, a backwards look and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. So if you were able to change one thing, knowing now what you know, 
in the six years you've been open, you've got the opportunity, uh, no strings uh, attached, no holds barred, you can change one thing, what would you change? In terms of just how we've utilised the space inside this warehouse, um, cold storage, I, I, I would triple or quadruple that. Um, I think it's going to become more and more important. I mean, obviously, I know how important it is, but I mean, we've got more and more beer coming out, so I just want to store it correctly and see it go out the door in the best possible shape. Um, so yeah, that's. I guess you're talking about future plans for next year and whatnot, and that's definitely on the cards. So the size storeroom I'm looking at, um, th- there's not really anywhere for it to go in here. Yeah, you know, I think my office might have to go. Away. I have to <laughs> knock that out. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, I guess that's one thing people always say when they come into this brewery is it's so big, you've got so much room, but by the time you keg off two tanks worth of beer or you line up the cans for the next canning run, you've got grain delivery, there's nowhere for anything to go. So, um, yeah, even it might sound greedy, but a bigger space would have been good, but I am very happy with this, with this warehouse, yeah. All right, well, guys, uh, we'll let you get back to your day. Thanks so much for having us in here and letting us try um, some fantastic beers. And I'm going to present you both with um, some Brews News merch, uh, a bar blade each. Um, use them with pride on your cans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, best of luck for the future. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming down. That was Matt King and Glenn Wignall. If you enjoy Radio Brews News and Beer is a Conversation, please rate us and leave a review on your favourite podcasting app, like iTunes. We look forward to joining you next time for another conversation about beer.